1 right now in my quiet times, and Ephesians 1, 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I think about all the ways that I sin, all the ways that I mess up, to think that I will be holy and blameless before the Lord. That is something that I've been predestined for, chosen for. I will see a victory. We will see a victory. Or in our trials and the things that are really hard in this life, we can see all these evils in our lives and we knowing that God can turn them for good. And we'll see a victory. Or as we have ended this Revelation series, looking at all of history with the dragon and the beast and the other beast and the other beast and the other beast. In the end, Jesus Christ will win. Weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will. victory for the battle belongs to you Lord I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you Lord power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. Amen. So I'm not backing down from any giant. I know how this story is. Yes, I know how this story For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord.
home. We did the church every week. We did the Christian school. My parents really sacrificed to make sure that we were surrounded by a lot of Christian influence, our friends, our family. Um, we did all the right things. And even as a child, I knew that Christianity was something that I should do. I knew that hell was a really bad place. So I used my fear and my desire for a little bit of control um, to pray the prayer to make sure that I got my get out of hell card. And I felt comfortable because I was still going through the motions of going to church every week and got baptized and, and did and said a lot of the right things. But as I grew up, I was growing in a lot of head knowledge. I know a lot of doctrine. I know a lot of Bible verses. I have a lot of things memorized that knowledge wasn't impacting my heart and how I lived my life. I was still making decisions based on 
I need to be self-sufficient. Just like as a kid, I needed that get out of hell card. I knew that I needed to do things and make decisions so that I would be successful. So I made decisions with the backup plan in mind of if something bad happens, I can rely on myself. And I worked really hard really hard um, to establish a comfortable, safe place for my life. But it was all based on my own actions and my own abilities and not a reliance on Christ. And the more successful I became and the more I achieved those goals, the more dissatisfied I became with my life and frustrated I felt with my identity because it was never enough and I always wanted more and it was always what's the next thing I need to pursue to achieve this the self-sufficiency. So God really worked in my heart and showed me that this was an idol and that he was the one who sustained me and he was the one that provided for me. And as I took steps away from my own self-sufficiency, God kept showing up and kept providing. And that reliance on him is what really showed me that in my heart, I, I needed him more than just coming to church on Sunday morning and listening to a sermon. My Christian growth needed to be so much more than just what the pastor was putting out on Sunday. It needed to be a constant everyday gospel in my face kind of a thing. And even though I struggled with, I don't enjoy reading the Bible and I feel like I don't get anything out of it, God, through his power has revealed um, the beauty in his word and has given me a heart for wanting to be in the word and also given me a heart for the people around me. And um, God showed me that he didn't save me just so that I would have this get out of hell card and for me to live a life of self-sufficiency. He saved me so that I would be an ambassador for him and that I would live my life for his glory and to spend my life enjoying him and I can truly say that for many years, that was not the way I lived my life. Um, but God is so gracious and so patient and so faithful that he continued to pursue me even when I was off pursuing my own self-sufficiency. Um, he is so good and he's been so kind to me to reveal all of these things to me in a very gentle and loving way. And so my prayer for you and, and how I want to encourage you this morning is... Um, that if you are a believer here today, that you don't have to rely on yourself to fulfill what God has called you to do. He has indwelled you with his spirit. And if he has called you to do something, he will empower you to do that. And as you interact with the people that God brings into your life, I wanna encourage you um, to be a beacon for, for him and for his glory to make his name known he doesn't bring anybody into your life on accident. So I just want to encourage you to step out in boldness and, and jump into those conversations and be willing to say the things that God has called you to say. Thanks for listening. Amen. Good morning. My name is Stan. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. I'll be sharing the word of God with you today. Pastor Hartland is on vacation. I want to thank Amy for sharing her story with us. Uh, today is Who's Your One? And there are cards on their chairs uh, where you are. Uh, every one of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ had someone that had an interest in our soul. And uh, this is just a reminder to us uh, to think about someone that needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for them and think of ways that you can serve them and minister to them. 
And uh, today, uh, Amy had mentioned that we are ambassadors, and that's what we're going to be talking about today from the Word of God. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the Word of God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Our Father, it is a privilege for us to be in the house of God this day, and we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. You have given us the Word of God so that we can understand who you are and understand what you require of us. And Lord, we have business to tend to today, and that business is the preaching of the Word of God, and the hearing of the Word of God. And in both, we need the Spirit of God to help us. So as the one that is communicating, I pray that you would guide and help and instruct. And for those that are hearing, we pray that you would help in the understanding of the Word of God. Uh, We thank you that we have the Spirit. We thank you that we have the Word. And now we pray that you would bless it to our souls, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last two times I preached, we studied the metaphors of the Apostle Paul that he used to describe us as Christians in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. We first looked at 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Vessels that are weak and frail and could be easily broken. Vessels that are not worth very much from a monetary standpoint. But the God of heaven has chosen to deposit within our souls the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And this is meant to encourage us to continue in ministry, even though ministry can be difficult. Paul says that we are not to lose heart in verse 16. Though our outward man or outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then we looked at us being described as tents. The apostle was highlighting the fact that Men will die. We have a temporary existence upon this earth. And he says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This tent that I live in, that I dwell in, is a temporary earthly existence. God in his race, grace has revealed to us that we will not live forever. But rather, we have a building a house. And we've been dealing with heaven the last few weeks. We have a house that God's preparing for us. And that house isn't made with hands. And Paul begins chapter 5 with three important words. He said, for we know. And those words give us the indication that this is certain. This is not the result of human intellect. This is not the result of our ingenuity. But rather, it is the special revelation of God to his people, and we can bank upon that. Why? Because Paul says that God has put a down payment. 
He has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. In 2 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul says, He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And today I want to continue along that train of thought, but we're not going to be looking at metaphors. We're going to be focusing upon a title that Paul assigns to us as children of God. It would be more accurate to say a title that God has assigned to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see a progression. We are jars of clay of little worth, but God has deposited the, the gospel within us. And we are tents that highlight the temporary nature of our existence upon the earth and the fact that the power belongs to God. We are vessels that are used by God, and now we have been given a title in the greatest kingdom the world has ever known ambassador. Now I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing 2 Corinthians, he was writing to address doctrinal error and to defend his apostleship. False teachers had made their way into Corinth, and they had begun to teach heresy and the doctrines of demons. But in order for them to gain credibility, guess what they had to do? They had to discredit the Apostle Paul. Their goal was to stop the true message of the gospel. They attacked his character. They attacked him physically. They attacked his theology. They just wanted to get rid of the Apostle Paul. And we see the Apostle Paul seeking to persuade the Corinthians that he was trustworthy and sincere. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, and 12, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And our hope is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. You see, Paul was not a self-glorying man. He was not a self-promoting man. But here he is seeking to persuade his children in the faith by giving them incentive to defend him and to speak boldly on his behalf. And he tells them, you know me. You have personal knowledge of me. And he says, I'm not like the super apostles, those false apostles that had crept into the church there, who boast about outward appearance and not what's in the heart. Their goal was to put on a facade, pretense, to impress and deceive men to their own advantage. And Paul says, if we are beside ourselves in verse 13 of chapter 5, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And Paul is addressing his critics here because they had concluded that Paul was a madman. Similar to how Festus had concluded he was a madman. But Paul says, my zeal for the glory of God is what drives me. And whether I be accused of being a madman or a fanatic, so be it. I do it for God. And he also 
told the Corinthians that if he was in his right mind, it was for their advantage. So today we're going to jump into and deal with verses 11 to 20. We're not going to go in great, great detail on every verse, but we have been given a title. And we're going to figure out what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So I want to begin by asking you this question. How many of you have jobs? All right. I think most of the adults in this room can raise their hand and say that they have a job. And I want you to have that mindset as we go through these passages of Scripture. I want you to have that disposition. You have a job, and you have been given this job by Almighty God. You are an ambassador. You have been appointed. You have been assigned. And our outline today, there's four points. I try to keep it to three, but we got four today. And we're going to look at the ambassador's qualifications, his motivations, his core value, and his message. That's what we're going to cover today. Now, what do you have to do to get a job? You have to determine whether you're qualified for that job, right? Second, you need to put together a resume that highlights all of your accomplishments. Third, you have to be interviewed and you have to apply for the job. When it comes to this job that we have been commissioned by God to do, we're going to see that the kingdom of God is upside down. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. So, I want you to take an imaginary journey with me that you are presenting your resume before God. What's on your resume? Well, let's take a look and see what's up on the resume. How do you qualify for the job that you are assigned to do? You shall have no other God before me. Are you are you qualified? You are broken. You have broken the commandment. I am not certified. You shall make no idols. I've broken that one too. I don't meet the certification. You shall not take the Lord's, the name of the Lord, your God in vain. Guess what? I've broken that one too. I'm not certified. Keep the Sabbath day. I've broken that. I'm not certified. And we can go down all 10 of the commandments. Those are the things that qualify us for service in the kingdom of God. And based upon this resume that we present to God, it's obvious we're not qualified to be ambassadors, are we? But yet Paul says that we are. Now, you know, I worked for Bank of America for 37 years. They came to me in 2019 and said, We're not going to be operating out of Baltimore as a core city anymore. And there are three cities that we want you to go to, Boston, Dallas, or Atlanta. And Jackie and I prayed about that and determined that we would stay. And what really actually happened is the morning that I was to make the decision or we were to make the decision, I said, Jackie, I'm going to go down and tell them we're going to move. And guess what happened? I got on the phone and I got before my boss, and I said, you know, I can't do this. Can't do it. So there I am, not really ready to retire and have to get into the job market. 
and it's been 37 years since I had, a, a, had to go apply for a job. So I was really out of touch. So I called one, someone that knew, Peter Brown. And Peter helped me to get up to the 21st century. Last time I got a job, all I had to do was go show up at the place and interview. And now you got to do it online. You got you to have interviews over the phone, all of this. So Peter helped me out to get things up to the 21st century. And one thing that Peter emphasized was, Pastor, you got to quantify your accomplishments. So we go through, we work on our resume, my resume. Three months go by, six months go by, 12 months go by, no job. Okay. And then one day my wife was talking to someone here in the church, Aaron Hartland, and said, my husband's looking for a job. Oh, I didn't know he was looking for a job. Tell him to send me his resume. Guess what happened? I got a job. I got a job because I had a connection in that company. And the only reason that we are qualified to be ambassadors is because we have a connection with Jesus Christ. We that have believed the gospel, believe that Christ came into this world to seek and to save the lost, and that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we who put our trust in him and are regenerated are reconciled to God. And as a result of that, we are now ambassadors in the kingdom of God. And Paul goes on to write in 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 3 and 4, as he was describing his ministry to the Thessalonians and how difficult it had been and the hardships that he endured, he writes these words. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart. I want you to think about this truth. You have, if you have trusted Christ, you have been entrusted with the gospel. That is amazing. And when we think about that, it really should blow our minds that God would let us share in the communicating of his truth to a lost and dying world. We who were undeserving, unqualified, God has qualified us to be his ambassador through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it should fill our hearts with gratitude that God would do such a thing as that. Our second point is, what is our motivation? What's to motivate an ambassador? There are two motivators that the Apostle Paul shares with us in 2 Corinthians, verses 11 through 15. And one I'll call a secondary motivation, and one I will call a primary motivation. Paul says in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And he says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Paul says that one of the motivators is his fear of the Lord, his reverence of the Lord, his awe of the Lord, and the fact that we one day will stand before God and give an account of all the things that we have done in the body. Paul says, as a result of this, we persuade others. Now, there is some debate among commentators as to who Paul is seeking to persuade in this verse. One camp is convinced that Paul is seeking to persuade the Corinthians of his trustworthiness, his genuineness in the ministry. And the other camp of commentators believe that Paul is referring to the evangelical duty we have of warning the loss of the wrath to come and pleading with them to be reconciled with God. I kind of think it's both. He's trying to convince them, but I think also we have a responsibility And regardless of where you fall with the commentators, the one thing that should factor into this is the consequence of those that don't know Jesus Christ. What is their ultimate consequence? They will be exposed to the wrath of God if they're not told about Christ. And if we give any thought, any consideration, any meditation, to their ultimate end, it should move our hearts to be motivated as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, there is a second motivator, and I will call this the primary motivator. Paul says in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says that the great compelling motive in my life since my conversion is love. And we need to understand exactly what the Apostle Paul meant by this statement, the love of Christ controls us. That word control means properly to hold together, to press together, to shut up, then to press on, urge, impel, excite. And here it means that the impelling or exciting motives and the labors of the self-denial of the Apostle Paul was the love of Christ. And Paul did not mean a love that originated in his heart for Christ, though that should be a factor, that should be a motivator for us as ambassadors. But what Paul was talking about here is the love that originated in the triune Godhead and was put on display in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is the agape love that originated with God. It was a sacrificial love, an unconditional love, a pursuing love, an all-consuming love, an undying love for the souls of men. And finally, it was a substitutionary love. The scripture says that one died for all. And Paul understood that Christ became his substitute, that he died in his place. 
And he emphasizes this in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When the Apostle Paul contemplated the love of Christ, it gripped him. It hemmed him in. It made him a prisoner of Christ's love. And as a result, he was motivated to selfless service as an ambassador who communicates the message of the kingdom. And that message of the kingdom is reconciliation. And that's why Paul prayed for the Ephesians. In Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, Paul writes this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, when we understand the depth of the love of Christ and the breadth and the height and the length of the love of Christ, we will be motivated as ambassadors. So your application of this is to do just that, to contemplate, to meditate, to consider the love of Christ that he has for you. And as a result of that, Paul says, I don't live to myself. We shouldn't live to ourselves, But for him, for your, for your sake, died and was raised again. Are you motivated? The love of Christ should move us. The love of Christ should motivate us. Let's move on to the core value of an ambassador. Many companies and organizations develop core values that should shape the company's employees' thinking and action. At Cornerstone, we have some core values, and we go through them in our membership class, and we let people know what they are. So here, the Apostle Paul highlights the ambassador's primary core value. We find it in 2 Corinthians 5.16. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What did Paul mean by this statement? Well, let's look at verse 15 first. Paul says that Christ died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, as a result of that statement, from the time that Paul, by the enlightenment of the Spirit of God, concluded that Christ died as a substitute for him in his place, his view of men and his view of Christ changed. His appraisal of men was no longer after the flesh. 
You see, the world standard is to be a respecter of person, to focus on outward appearance. And Paul had mentioned in verse 12 that the super apostles boasted about outward appearance and not about what was in the heart. You see, Paul didn't form his opinion of men based upon nationality, and that would have been a big thing in Corinth, Jew versus Gentile. He did not form his opinion based upon their status or wealth or education. Paul did not use external factors to evaluate men. You see, Christ died for men regardless of the external factors. And regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, I no longer view him after the flesh. Let me ask you this question. Before you came to Christ, did you see any beauty in the Savior? Did you have any desire for the Savior? I speak from my personal conviction, no, I didn't. Isaiah says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You see, before I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, before I was enlightened by the Spirit of God, before Christ converted me, all he was was a good man that lived a long time ago. A good man that had no impact upon my life. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing, he was persecuting the church. He was putting Christians in jail. He was killing them. But he says, after my conversion, I had a different view of the Lord Jesus Christ. I see him now as the bright and morning star. I see him as the creator of the world and everything in it. I see him as the king of kings and lord of lords. I see him as the God of great mercy and grace. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether glorious, and he is my Savior. You see, an ambassador cannot look at men according to the flesh. That is not the value of the kingdom. God, who owns you and me, has established for his ambassadors a core value that should drive our interactions with men. You remember what God told Samuel when he was looking for a king and Jesse was parading his sons before Samuel? And Samuel said, surely this one must be it, God. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7 and 8, God said this to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Or when Peter was with Cornelius and God had enlightened him 
that he could share a meal with Cornelius and he could eat things that he didn't think he should eat. Peter opened his mouth in Acts 10, 34 and 35 and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Or James, he said, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then Paul writes in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are for for you all are one in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's life had been impacted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he understood that the substitutionary death of Christ had a profound effect upon him. And it changed him. And that's why he writes, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then Paul pens the next verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, because he concluded that Christ's substitutionary death will change those who receive it. If any man, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, behold. The new has come. If any man be united to Christ by faith, he is a new creation. He is made new by the Spirit of God through regeneration. And this is a radical change. It's a radical change that helps men see things through the eyes of God. With regeneration, we become partakers of the divine nature. And that's why Paul says, I no longer view men after the flesh. I no longer view Christ after the flesh. Everything changes. My opinions, my habits, my love of sin, my love of the world. God gives me a new heart, and I have new attachments. I love Christ. I love the word of God. I love the people of God. I have new views about God, about Jesus, about the world. You see, that's what God does. He makes us new creatures in Christ. And it is unlimited. The Bible says that Jesus saves to the othermost. And that term in Christ exposes us to the unlimited implications of redemption. Our security is in Christ who bore our sin and endured the wrath of God for us. Our acceptance is in Christ. Our assurance of future resurrection is in Christ. Our inheritance of glory is in Christ. Our participation in the divine nature is in Christ. Our being set free by the word of God and the power of the resurrection, it is in Christ. We can't view men 
after the flesh. And one thing I want to encourage you as ambassadors, you know there are times when there's someone that you look at from an external standpoint and you think they'll never come to Christ. And there are those that you look at and say, they're such a nice person. What is important is, are they in Christ or not? They're going to be attached either to Adam or to Christ. And our job is to communicate how men can be reconciled to God. without discrimination in any way. In Christ, out of Christ. I don't care what your political affiliation is. I don't care about any of that. In Christ, out of Christ. That's all that God wants us to be concerned about because that's all he's concerned about. And finally, what's the ambassador's message? What are we communicating to the world? We are ambassadors. And what do ambassadors do? The word denotes someone who represents his government. It is a noble position. And we speak only for our government. We do not share our opinion, our agenda, or make deals that will advance our cause. Ambassadors live in a foreign land. We are exposed to different traditions, different lifestyles, things that we may like or may not like. But we live there to represent our government. In our case, we are here to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what is our mandate? Our mandate is to represent the King and tell people how they can be reconciled to God. You are an enemy of God. And all of this is initiated by God Almighty. Paul writes in verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, God is the author of faith. He is the author and initiator of reconciliation. It all begins with him and it ends with him. All of this is performed through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only mediator between God and men. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And reconciliation is needed because of man's rebellion against God. Our alienation is the result of sin. In our rebellion, we want to be God. We want to rule. We want to reign. Our rebellion will be met by a holy and righteous God because sin has to be dealt with and has to be punished. And that is where the wrath of God and the alienation of man comes into play. And men need to know they are enemies of God. But the rebellion of man is also met with the love of God in Christ at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, 
way of reconciliation stands wide open, and God has committed this ministry of reconciliation to us, his servants. This word of reconciliation, the logos of reconciliation, that's what it actually means. And I step back and I say, who are we and who am I that God would commit such a ministry of this nature to us? How we communicate to men how they can be right with God. It is a ministry of proclamation. In verse 19, Paul says, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We must speak, we must talk, we must communicate. We are declaring reconciliation because God has deposited the word of truth in this jar of clay, in this tent. And why did he do that? We said at the outset, because the surpassing power belongs to God. We are to be used to show that the power of the word of God can change a man's heart. Two things we learn here. Those that share the message of reconciliation, first you are going to be the recipient of reconciliation. I can share it because I've been reconciled to God. And two, we are obligated to share this message. I want to point out there are honorary positions that you get. There are honorary titles that you get. This is an honorary title. This is a functioning, active title that God gives to us And his expectation is that we would fulfill the responsibility and tell men about Jesus Christ. This is the greatest message that the world has ever known. It is the greatest message that the world needs to hear. And God has committed it to us. And we have a responsibility to let men know they are alienated from God. You want to be a friend of God? That's what we tell people. You want to be a friend of God? Here's how. And you tell them about reconciliation. And the thing that is important here is their sins. What happened to their sins? The Bible says that he made him sin. Doesn't mean that Christ became a sinner, but he made him sin. God treated Christ as F. All the sins of all the world were upon Christ. And then he looks at me, one that would receive Christ, and imputes. He puts on my account Christ's righteousness. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a choice to make. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is Jesus is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have a choice. You will pay for your sin one way or the other. You can pay for it yourself 
and you would be exposed to the wrath of God eternally, forever and ever and ever. Or you can look to the Lord Jesus Christ and you can put your trust in him and you will be exposed to the benevolent love of God forever and ever and ever. Eternal salvation, favor in the eyes of God, but you must make a choice. Die for yourself or let Christ be your substitute. You see, God has equipped us to be his ambassadors. And I say it again, it's not an honorary position. He has given us everything that we need. And his grace and his mercy. And the Bible says that we are to entreat others to be reconciled to God. We are to plead with them. We are to urge them. We are to talk. We are to counsel. We are, we are to do all that we can to convince men that they need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the text tells us. God in us entreating men. Two things that we could consider and then we will close. Think about how much God loves you. And let that move you and be motivated to be an ambassador. And the second thing we need to contemplate is the ultimate consequence of those that don't believe. May God help us. May God give us grace and mercy to fulfill this responsibility. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us this title of ambassador. Lord, forgive us for the times that we fail to be good ambassadors in this world. But help us, dear Lord, to apply the grace of God, to apply the word of God, and to use the Holy Spirit as we seek to convince men that they need to trust Christ. Lord, it's a great ministry to tell men how they can now stop being an enemy of God and become a friend of God. Bless us, we pray. and We ask this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Pastor Jason is going to lead us in communion. All right. Each week, thank you, Stan, for that message. 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors indeed, and it is not an honorary title or role. Praise the Lord. So we're going to take communion um, this morning. And when Jesus Christ was talking about his blood, he said, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus said the, the result of his, of his blood, of his death, of, his, of him dying on the cross and shedding his blood is the forgiveness of sins. If the thing that turns a good and holy God against us, and rightly so, is our sin, 
and how precious to us is the blood of Christ that cancels out that sin and gives forgiveness to us. How wonderful is the pardon that Christ has bought. Praise the Son of God. And Jesus said, poured out for many, and so may many, 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 many find this forgiveness. I'm going to read from Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.